Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the Dr. Tom Curran Show, and good morning to you, Carrie. Good morning, Tom. It's a Faith and Family Friday. Five. Do you know what number five refers to? Uh, five Fs. The five Fs. Now, the number of senior nights that I've been a part of uh, for on a basketball court in the last couple of weeks. Senior night, what is that? And I think that it provides, it casts a light on a fundamental part of how to live well as a Catholic Christian family. How? Well, we're going to talk about that today on the program. Back in a minute with my wife, Carrie. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we come before you today in Jesus' holy name, and we present ourselves to you, Father, through the hands of our Mother Mary and St. Joseph, into your hands, Lord Jesus. Receive us entirely. Receive our loved ones, our family members, all of our intentions, all of our points of need, and our heart's desires. We thank you, Lord, that you made room for us and that you welcome us into your heart and you welcome us into an eternal home. Give us the grace, Lord, to live well today in the light of our destiny. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. The the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Carrie, five senior nights. uh, I had one favorite. So it was ours. Of course. (laughs) So... Well, folks who aren't listening, how would you describe a senior night? Uh, it's very emotional, celebratory. Well, what does it refer to? Because it's not about musicals and plays. Or say, senior senior, senior citizen night where you get a special discount on your meal. Right. That is not what a senior night is. It's just like an event that marks the end of a high school career, sometimes college, where typically football, basketball, volleyball. And so they bring out the seniors for their last home game in front of the crowd. And they have the parents, the family members come down on the court and they present them with uh, usually some kind of gift that represents that sport. Uh, Sometimes it's photos, usually balloons, flowers, candy necklace or a basket of something. And then uh, the coach or teacher or parents, someone's chosen to speak about how that person has impacted the school in the last four years and what gifts, what a gift they are to that place. So it's very emotional because a lot of parents have followed the son or daughter through many years of playing a sport and I can't believe I'm tearing up. <laughs> and um, it's, it's a time to just really say goodbye to that season. And most unfortunately kids won't be playing in college, maybe intramural sports, but not at the college level. So yeah, they won't be in a uniform anymore and in front of their crowd in their own high school. So it is a real closing of a season and, very special to uh, the community, especially when you have an all outstanding senior, someone who 
uh, has great leadership, generous, kind, being athletic and good at the sport helps too. But I don't always think that's essential. I think it's the person who he or she shows up to be for the the school to elevate that, that place. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it takes, it, we're going to say it takes a village. I mean, it takes a school to know how to kind of prep a senior night. And then it also takes a, a coach that knows how to honor well. And that all of that comes together in a way that can highlight and really elevate the concept of a senior night. I, I think that senior nights can be very expressive of the culture, the ideals, the atmosphere of the school. And I love the way that we were just able to do that at the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame when we had senior night for the boys and girls basketball team. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we've been a part of a lot of senior nights, not just this year, but over the course of our kids years. And, uh, a lot of schools have the very polished photos, the posters, the yeah banners, the big banner length posters of professional photos. And I'm telling you, all these printing companies love the more opportunities for parents to just glory in their son or daughter's last season. I mean, it really is. I think more for seniors, it's about the parents in some ways. I guess it's dual, of course, but there is a way in which um, parents take a part in this evening. Anyhow, there's a lot of schools that have a very polished look, but when it actually comes time to what they say about that person or the way in which they honor that person, it's not as well done. It's easy to get all the material kind of flashy outward parts of it to look great, but how you actually name that person as a gift and elevate who they who they are, how you see them, what they've been to the community, it really does take time and effort and uh, skill to make that go well, I think. Yeah, a grace and human effort, right? Sure. So it, God's grace, but also the human effort to to give some time and attention to it. And you're right that there were more, let's call it the accoutrements, the, these emblems of uh, of honoring that were better presented at other schools. But I think we focused quite a bit on the heart. Yeah. Like when Mary Grace, our 25, four, 24 year old was at her high school, it was more, your mom and dad are so proud of you and they congratulate you. And Mary Grace is going on to a mission year and she has this accolades of, you know, what kind of awards you have or your GPA. And typically it's just like what school you're going on to or what kind of trade you're going into. And not a lot more. Sometimes I'll mention a couple of things about your time on the court, but not typically. It's more just this person's going on to this place in their life. Wouldn't you say so? Is that how it's been for? Absolutely. And then that's what I saw four times, right? So we, we did, we did one. We, and then the four schools that uh, we ended up, I don't know how that happened, that we ended up being the last home game for they, four other teams. They wanted to guarantee a win that yeah. night. They're like, <laughs> Put Chesterton on senior night so we could just dominate. It didn't work out very well for Valley Christian, right? (laughs) So, but it was, yeah. (laughs) But we, yeah, we had, uh, it it was, it was interesting because most of them just focused on the factual. Um, uh, When I had a chance to, to speak to our one senior, I focused on scripture and just laboring in the vineyard and, and this. Who told you to use scripture? Uh, I, your, your voice came into my yeah. head. It was you. Mom, just quote scripture. 
No, you did. Keep it on. Keep it on firm ground. Well, and I thought that was important Uh, uh, when when you said it. I'm like, well, of course, because I'd been using scripture with them during the course of the season, maybe less than I wanted. I've definitely been incorporating prayer and the night's theme. But well, I think you have grown as a coach, and you're growing as a coach. I can see. Don't you think? I do. And one of the signs that I'm growing as a coach is that I see my lack. I see my gaps. And I realize as the season's gone on, oh, I could have done this better. I should have done more of and this. It helps you see your lack. The gift that God has given me in my life called me <laughs> one. Honey, That's you do, true. That's you do true. such a good oh job. God. You're the fixer-upper. You're, You're the fixer-upper. You're welcome. Marriage therapy, here we come. So <laughs> there, there is, yeah, but I have, you've definitely walked with me in, in the course of this season. You've You've undergone a lot of the sacrifices of the hours that, you know, that have been asked of me. Tom, for- this is not about you. This is about senior nurse coach. You know, the good thing about uh, uh, your opportunity to coach well is seeing great coaches. And I think um, having watched and been a part of several teams, it really is beautiful to watch and behold a great coach. It is a, it's a work of art and it's a work of science and a lot of God's, would you say, grace and- Grace and human effort. Grace and human effort. Um, it, it is just the impact a coach can have the impact a sport or, uh, an extracurricular activity can have on a, a son or daughter is you can't out, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This is the game. What's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, My brain doesn't uh, work. <laughs> you can't underestimate. Underestimate. Yeah. You can't overstate. Oh, there we go. Let's, let's there we give go. multiple yes, choice. I love it. Well, and we will talk a little bit more about honoring, but I want to identify this in relationship to today's feast day. Today's the feast of the presentation. And it's the moment when uh, St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother presented Jesus as the firstborn son into the temple. Uh, it was 40 days after the birth of Jesus. So it was also the time of the purification. It was the time when the Blessed Mother was considered purified from her act of giving birth. Is this is this also why they recommend you baptize infants soon after they're born? Do they relate it to Jesus being presented? I, you know what, because that was connected to the circumcision. So the idea that in the act of presenting, there's an act of saying, this child has come from God to us. We recognize that this child has been entrusted to us. And our first and most important act that we can do as parents is to entrust this child into God's hands. And so that's the act of presenting. And in the act of presenting back at the time of Jesus, there was a sign that this child has been uh, designed and, and, and willed to be part of God's people. And so that act of presenting was connected to Jesus becoming identified as a member of God's family, God's chosen people. Now, I know a lot of Protestant churches don't baptize infants. They do it more when the child has free will. That's right. When they, the, the, yeah, when the, when the young person makes their personal decision for Jesus. But I get a sense that more churches are going back to infant baptisms. Well, and, and it's funny because if I had to guess a reason for that, it's the internet that a lot of folks that grew up in their own church traditions, they just grew up in a church that didn't baptize infants. And they were just taught 
by the, from the pulpit and their pastor that infant baptism is not biblical, it's not historical, and therefore it is connected to an act of faith in Christ. And you only baptize once someone does that. Well, all of a sudden now the internet shows up and you have access to historical research, you have access to a worldwide scope of visibility to, to churches and, and traditions and faith. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait a minute, not only do the scriptures, but the early church witnesses to the reality that babies were baptized and that shouldn't be held off. And then what does baptism mean? Is it a mere symbolic act that follows after the act of faith in Christ? Or is it, in fact, a God-given gift through Christ to the church to infuse the very life of God into that infant, elevating them to a new creation status, cleansing them of original and personal sin, and making them a member of the church from the very beginning of their life? So many, so many lanes, views, possibilities. That is why it's so nice <laughs> to know that we have a church where you can just lean on the tradition. Uh, can we present to the Lord things other than our children, like our dog? <laughs> can you hear that dog out there crying? I don't know if our listeners can hear Alaska, but she is dying. She's to come whining. <laughs> and I feel so terrible, but I, I thought I was done with toddler stages. And now I feel like I have a toddler following me all over the house all day long. And I would love to present her to anybody who would like a dog, a lab. She's wonderful, but I'm just not. Four-year-old yellow lab, <laughs> four and a half years old for free. No, no cost. Not in that stage of life anymore. And I know my kids will not love me for this. And maybe they might see a therapist, but she does not make me a better mom. She makes me an impatient, grumpy wife and mother. And for East, oh, for Lent. Maybe a family would take on our dog for Lent and just try her out. I am presenting that to someone. Please save me. Well, if you want, go to my website, mycatholicfaith.org, and reach out to us and let us know. Tom and I go. You've got to be local. Uh, we're actually serious. Yeah. This is the yellow lab, so she does uh, shed a little bit. So that act of presenting has to be open to be received. She's right? a small yellow lab. Super she, she sweet. She was the runt of the litter. I so actually have three families that have already said, we'd love to take her anytime you want to give her up. So Did, they, did you really? Yes. And I just oh, wow. have to act on it. But, Didn't know that. But maybe there's someone else who really, like a, uh, someone who's lonely or a couple who really would like a little company. Yeah. So today I want to dig into this act of presentation because it is way more than, and you pointed out what I would say if Catholics have reflected on the Feast of the Presentation, they naturally would think of baptism. Oh, well, my kid's baptized. I've already had the Catholic Christian counterpart to the act that Joseph and the Blessed Mother did in the life of Jesus when he, when he was presented in the temple. I brought my child for baptism. And I want to say, yes, and... And the end is there's so much more to the the forms and, and, and expressions of the act of presentation that shows up in our life of faith. And so, Carrie, I'm excited to, to dive into that with you today and really explore that. So what do I mean? So you and I, when we were first engaged, it was it involved an act of presentation. Do you remember? 
Uh, can you give me multiple choice? <laughs> no, we don't. went to mass. It was in the, what, what do you call it? The, the crypt church at the Basilica yes. of the National of course, Shrine of the Immaculate most Conception. One of the most important dates. Hello. Of my life. I'm sorry. I was, I was thinking about the dog. See, yeah. She makes me a bad mom. Oh. And a bad, a bad co-host. I, I just need to say this. A therapist would say, a dog can't cause you to be a bad mom. A dog can dispose you or foster in you certain traits Does that therapists know how weak i am yeah. how just well suited okay right. so anyhow we are actually well we're up against a break okay. now all right i'm gonna have to come back to the profound meaning of our marriage in just a minute back in the back with you in a second welcome back to the program so carrie i, I was about to jump in and talk about our engagement but i realize that we didn't really finish senior night. I, I feel like there's still some more to be said there. And, and folks, I want you to hear it in the light of this idea of presentation, because the, pre the presentation of, of Jesus in the temple, that, that took some effort. That, that took some planning. And that was, that was part of a whole ritual that was established by the law and it had to be done in a certain way. And there was a gift that, did you know Joseph and Mary brought a gift? No, I did not. Yeah, they brought the two turtle doves. Why? I did not know that. Yeah, they did. They brought a gift, an offering as they were presenting Jesus. And they made the offering of one who was poor. Not striking. Did you yes. know that? Yes. Oh, that's That they beautiful. were financially, economically poor. So that if you were poor, you bring turtle doves. You bring these doves yes. instead of like a calf, uh, instead of a, a, a bull. So it was it was a sign of their living in, in a condition of poverty. Pretty striking. But- there's a thoughtfulness that goes into the pres the present the presentation quality of something like a senior night, and and I saw that happen uh, in you along with this whole team. Many hands make light work to do a good job of honoring the the seniors. And there were only three seniors that were basketball players, but. It got enhanced. It got elevated. And, and folks, as you hear this, I want you to think about this in terms of your own family, not only in terms of, oh, senior night in your sport and your school. No, this, this has repercussions and, and associations with how you can honor, how you can elevate, how you can make an active presentation in your own family life as well. So we are going to draw those lines of connection. But before we do that, I want to, first of all, let it get unfolded a bit more the 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 actual senior night that happened for chesterton uh well when you say that there's a lot of people working to make it a successful night uh, at the school there are not a lot of staff that put on events and it's a, a lot of volunteer positions like the coaches and the athletic director and so sometimes things can fall through the cracks and in this particular evening there were so many people doing little things to bring it all together at the last moment. I just remember right before they did the senior honoring, there were eight adults down by the courts, finishing gifts, organizing gifts, organizing the speech, who's going to share at what point you all had talked earlier about what you'd share. And before that all happened, I was running around thinking, wait, we have two seniors that don't play on the court, but they're at every game and they do all the sound system and the scorekeeping and just to honor them and elevate their, what a senior night, when you remember the contributions that the senior has made 
to the school. And so even if they're not on the court, there might be other ways in which they're participating. Yeah. They're participants and they're, uh, they're making a difference. And so I last minute tried to pull some gifts together. And the funny thing is I thought there were two seniors from the other team that we wanted to present with a gift, but there are actually two girls, girl seniors, five boys. So it was seven gifts. So we had to last minute try to fix that, which was fine. And then even before the whole event started, we decorated the gym with a lot of balloons and banners and just tried to let the school know that this is a special night. I think, you know, you say it takes a lot of thought and creativity. This also goes into when you plan a birthday party or Valentine's day coming up or um, an anniversary of some sort. Sometimes those days catch me off guard, like a birthday of my son or daughter. But I always know that when we're able to take some time and just creatively think about that event and celebrate that person in in accord with their love language, it really does lift the spirit of the family. It really does uh, bring joy to the one who's doing it, even though sometimes you feel the work and the pain and the the hard uh, time-consuming effort put into it. When it's all said and done, there is a sense of joy. There is a sense of of a gladness and togetherness that really is a celebration. Well, one of the things that happens in the act of presenting, we talk about presentation, is you don't have a guarantee how it's going to be received. And during the course of that night of our our, our uh, senior night, we were we were doing that honoring um, in the with a, an opponent on the court, and that opponent came from Wilbur Creston, right? That was a, a team we were playing, and they were a really good team. So we start our games with prayer. So we invited the other team to come out, and I led the prayer at center court with all the players, and I prayed that each of these young ladies would know their dignity as daughters of God, and they'd experience the blessing that even though they're opponents, they're not enemies and that they would treat each other with dignity and that they would be blessed on the court and protected from any injuries. And when I was done, there was a young lady on the other team next to me and she laughed. She, and and part of me was, she was laughing because she was nervous. She was only a freshman she had never experienced anything like that. She was really a talented player. She was a talented player, but the way she showed up in that moment, it was kind of sad to me that she only thought of herself as a basketball player, not as a noble woman or a daughter of God that was competing with other uh, daughters of God on the court. Interesting. And then when it came time to honor our senior, I said to the coach, hey, you have two seniors as well? Yeah, who are they? And he said, oh, yeah, here are their names. And he, then he thought, I think he thought that was going to be the end of it. And I said, give me one word to describe them. If you had to say one word that it synthesizes the essence of the difference they made on the team, what would that one word be? And he said, leader for one. And he said, reliable for the other. That was so, really good. I forgot you did that. I thought that was really special that you called them out by name, and then you named them with a word that embodied who they were. That was so beautiful. Well, and you know what? It was striking because when I looked the one girl in the eye, this is after the game. This is after the game. And one of those two seniors had a really good game against us. She was a tough opponent. And so for me, who was trying to stop her during the game, 
to be able to look her in the eyes. Across court, across up, the, in the, up yeah. in the stands. No, she was on the front. She was. They brought her down to oh, the front. That's where she was sitting. Oh, yeah, standing. to the front. Okay. And I said, okay, and I looked her in the eyes and I called out her name and I said, the coach said, you're a leader. And I just said, you really showed that tonight. You really did manifest a sense of leadership. You went first. And, you know, congratulations. And then to the second one, she was more of a bench player. Uh, and she came out and, and it was, uh, he said, dependable. I changed the word to reliable because reliable is, uh, it, I think it has a richer personal connotation <laughs> than dependable. Good at it. Yeah. Well, I did. I said, it's reliable, dependable. I said, they can really rely on you when he put you on the court and you did a good job tonight. Congratulations. Right. So, uh, the girl, the leader, she laughed. She was, she didn't know how to take it. She didn't know how to receive the affirmation, that affirmation. She's a lot of healing, even though it was just a very like 10 seconds, brief words. Okay. Then on the other hand, when I affirmed Tatum, our senior, I used that scripture of laboring in the vineyard all day because she's been laboring for four years playing basketball at, at the Chesterton Academy and just have been getting completely destroyed, destroyed. just destroyed <laughs> for three years, destroyed. right? Last year on Owen 18 or whatever, and losing every game by 40 or 50 points. And I told two stories. That's not a good, that's not a good stat for recruiting. I to know. Our school I know. I know. Well, that's okay. Keep going. I distract. Talk about tonight's playoff game. All right. Talk about tonight's playoff. The girls are going to the playoffs. All right. Let's go. Anyways, the uh, honored her. And I found out, uh, I found out yesterday in the car ride when we were driving to a game. Uh, to another senior night, ta-da, uh, that a couple of the girls on the team cried. They were so moved by the sharing about Tatum. And they were saying, it was so true. And it was beautiful and meaningful. Well, I think also the deliverer of the words, you or a coach, has to resonate those words to be true in their heart and in their mind, that this is who I see you to be. And they call out that in that player. And with faith, I think faith and belief in those words has power to be conveyed. And that's probably why when you said to the, the senior of the other team, even though you didn't know her, but you said it with conviction and faith, it felt so odd or it was foreign exposing to her. And it struck her heart. But she'll never forget that. Well, uh, that's really cool. So, but parents, I want you to hear that. Here I am. I'm just a coach. I'm just a coach on the court, on one night, talking in front of a crowd for, you know, a, a minute to my player and 20 seconds to these other two players, not even, the difference it can make when it's done well. I mean, you and a bunch of moms invested a ton of time to create the environment, to gather, uh, the, the school did a great job of gathering the crowd of students and families to be there to really honor and elevate this senior and the three senior boy, two boys. And, and, the, and how was that different from the next night when you went to senior night? Well, it was, I mean, any one of the other four, they were all very factual. And what was more, you know, it was here's their resume. Here's what they've been part of over the course of their four years. And, uh, and then it was congratulations, come out, take a picture. And, and that was it. There was, not any sense of here's who you are to me. Here's how I see you. Not what you've achieved, but who you are. Yeah, that's right. 
who you are and how that's manifested, right? So I keep saying to the girls, know yourself. You're a daughter of God called to be a noble woman of virtue. And by the way, you can grow as, a, as an excellent basketball player. So grow in excellence as a basketball player, but in doing that, you'll become a noble, virtuous woman and you'll retain your dignity as a daughter of God. That is the vision I continue to uphold before the young ladies. That's just so foreign to these teams that we're playing against with maybe the one exception of Valley Christian, but I'm not sure the coach could name it like that. And so I just consider that a gift. Well, and then I think Valley Christian did this as this other school. They just said, so-and-so, you're a great player. You've helped our team. We're, we're, we've gotten so far this year. Our, our record is we're excited to be headed towards, but it was really general. It wasn't anything about that particular player, right? which it does take time to get to know who that player is. I mean, sometimes in honoring if you have to honor a student or a, a player, you almost have to go to the parents or you went to the other coach and said, help me with who this person is or how you see them to integrate into how you see them. And that sometimes can help. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So now, now I, I want to take all of that. And I, we we're talking about having done this as a coach and a volunteer parent for a basketball team. Do you see so Obviously, brothers and sisters, the connection this has to your your relational identity as a husband or wife, as a mother or father, as a son or daughter, as a brother or sister, so many facets uh, or relationships that you have where you have an opportunity to present to that loved one, to present to them a language, a communication of an event of honoring that will elevate them and uh, and the impact that that can have on their lives. I know that Tatum, she was very grateful to me afterwards, thanked me more than once for the the sharing that happened. Uh, and you know the whole context, it was again beautiful, beautifully honoring for her. But the difference that can make in, in in your in a family's life. Well, I think that's why these uh, search retreats that are Christian in name, but somewhat secularized, with human excellence, where you are named as a gift, and uh, often you will receive a lot of letters of people saying what impact you've had on them or how important you are to them. Not that those letters are always well done. What the, you know, you know what those letters are called. Polanka. And what does Polanka come from? It's some uh, tribal Native American word. No. <laughs> sounds like Puyallup, Polanka. No, no. It comes Yekima. from Curcio. Okay. Curcio is the movement. It means the little way. And it, it was like a getaway weekend. And they would, Curcio, you'd, a Curcio, you'd write letters to the people that are making the Curcio. And a Polanka is a pivot on a seesaw. Is this uh, Italian? No, it's, Sp- it's Spanish. Oh. Palanca okay. is, is is the pivot, like it's the balancing point on a seesaw. Oh, wait, Curcio, is that from Spain? Yeah. Did they start in they Spain? They started in Spain. Oh, I didn't know. In that. like the late 40s, a priest there came up with this How movement. How do you know the silly trivia? Just all I, this neuro- yeah, I made a Curcio in like 1990. <laughs> Tom, I've been on a lot of retreats. I cannot remember their origin. Okay. okay anyhow, go ahead. Well, the Palanca is a, wait, go back to Palanca to what? Is uh, the pivot. It's, it's the pivot point. It's okay. the point on a seesaw that balances oh. right so uh, you know that that axis that balances the two sides and the palanca goes on one side 
Oh, so you're trying to elevate the person That's right. with a so bunch of letters. If you put the letters down on one side of the seesaw, it elevates the person who's receiving them. It literally lifts them up. That's a great powerful, terminology. Yes. A powerful metaphor yes. for elevating speech, for affirmation, for honoring, for presenting to them. Now, that's a very vulnerable act to present something because they might laugh, they might snicker, they might sneer. They might, in their own brokenness, not know how to receive it. Well, I can say that, honestly, when we have had birthday celebrations and honoring, there sometimes is an uncomfortable space of, you can tell the son or daughter receiving it, it's vulnerable. Yeah. What does vulnerable mean? Yeah, vulnerable. Well, Our yeah. intimacy. <laughs> okay. You jumped to a different word. You're right. But I think vulnerable is the right word. Vulnerable is when you're exposed in a way that is unprotected. You're, you're unprotected, you're exposed, and you don't know what can happen. You have to trust that that which is coming towards you is not going to harm you. So being vulnerable is not an easy thing. So, all right, Carrie, we are coming up against another break. And when we come back, I want to circle back to some foundational ways and, and some other examples of presenting in family life. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Tom Curran Show. This is a Faith and Family Friday with my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, we're talking about presentation, the act of presentation. Folks, if you want to come up with another word for presentation, it's faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean what you believe, but the act of entrustment. If you think about the presentation as the the fourth joyful mystery. It's the mystery where St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother come to the temple and they present Jesus. They entrust, they put Jesus into the hands of the, the priest. That is so good. Because Tom, I'm thinking of all the ways in which I need to entrust situations or people or future events into the Lord's hands. And it is a sense of faith. I I want the Lord to one day say, I was astonished or amazed at her faith, <laughs> not astonished that it was unbelieving. Yeah, like he, Astonished when he... <laughs> at a lack of faith or amazed at the faith. I want to be amazed at the faith, some of the readings lately. Um, but that's a beautiful way of seeing it, that I am entrusting this situation, which I really don't have any control over, but just entrustment to the Lord that he is my good provider. He loves that person or that situation and knows through that that area that he's going to elevate us or bring us closer to him. And he can work all things to his glory, to his good. Okay. So to tease this out just even a little bit more, what's the difference between trusting, say, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust you. Okay. And I entrust this to you. Do you get a feel for like visibly, I want you to visibly say, yeah. I trust you and I entrust this to you. Yeah, it's definitely lifting something from me 
to him. It is an unloading. It's putting into the hands of, right? Okay. How many times are we, let's say, I trust you, Jesus, but I'm still clinging on to it. It's like, I, I've got this person, this situation, this health condition, this financial matter, this relationship challenge. I've got it in my hands. So I trust you, Jesus, but I'm holding on. I'm holding on to it. I'm going to hold on tight. And I'm trusting that you're going to fix it. I don't even think I think I'm holding on tight. I just think I partially trust, but in trusting is an actual letting go. Yep. It's like, I'm going to not worry and have anxiety and, and, and sadness. I'm going to, there's a, a release and a freedom of yep. entrusting where, you know, you have a good father. It's a different, it's, it's a, a different, different act. act. It's a different act. Jinx, yeah. you a Coke. <laughs> We don't drink Coke. All right. So in, in our Catholic spiritual tradition, do you know the other two words that are connected to the act of entrustment? No. It's surrender and abandon. I surrender myself to you. I abandon myself or this relationship or this situation, That's trial, so difficulty. So I hard. abandon it into your hands. Because if you're abandoning it into his hands... What's happening? You're kind of turning away or walking the other direction. You're, and you're, so say, this is it. To give up, ultimately, most profoundly, is to give over. Right? Um, so that's I'm uh, abandoning my dog <laughs> to you, Lord. <laughs> giving her over. Who wants her? All right. and now, all of that can sound like harsh and like, oh, these are all related to problem situations. Well, abandoning and... Uh, what Surrender, are, abandon. Those are... Those have different meanings okay. in our culture. Can I give you the two positive words? Oh, yes. Because those words are associated with trials, difficulties, tribulations. Yeah, when you're saying this, suffering. I'm just thinking of all the things I'm like stressed about. Yeah. It's too many. There's too many. All right. So there is another two words that are associated with the positive side of entrustment. Okay. You I have no are? idea. No, my brain's not working. It's dedication. Nice. And consecration. Beautiful. Right, so, Ooh, so marriage. Yeah. We consecrate. We consecrated Dedicate. our marriage. Dedicate our babies. To the blessed, uh, to the Holy Family. Yeah. So when we got engaged in the. Uh, crypt. Crypt church. I say Cove church. The church underneath <laughs> the basilica. I asked you to marry me. I gave you the ring in front of the blessed sacrament tabernacle. And we walked over to the fresco of the Holy Family, and we say, said it, an act of entrustment. We dedicated our, mar our engagement, our period of engagement, and entrusted, consecrated our entire married life into the hands of the Holy Family. Sounds great. You should write a book so I can read it. I don't remember. <laughs> Wait, you don't remember that? Um, no, Carrie, really. because I do believe you. I just no, don't you, remember okay, wait, those there details. There was something. Hold on. I do remember us kneeling in front of the Eucharist at Blessed Sacrament, and you didn't have to go down far on a knee to ask I me. I got off the kneeler, and I went down on one knee. Two inches, three yeah. inches. Was, should have known. Come on. <laughs> but you don't remember the guy who came up to yes, us? Yes, I do remember the, the black, big security, security guard. guard and he was ho ho and had this deep voice and he was trying to hurry us along no he was like what are you doing here because uh, what happens is that the the basilica closes after the 5 30 mass so everybody had shoot on out you and i had prayed i had asked you to marry me and then we were praying in front of the frescoes so he's coming walking over here and he talked into his walkie-talkie yeah i'm gonna go talk to these two people right now and he walked over here and 
uh, he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes. And he said, whoa. And he got all excited. Yeah, and then he said, that. Yeah, there's an engaged couple here. So he went back into his walking. Chair. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And so we left. We went out. And I had my Ford Escort. And what did I have in the back of the Ford Escort? Flowers. Not just flowers. Roses. Roses that were. Red roses. Red roses that were wilted a little bit because it was so cold out. It was March 11th. It was cold. I, you remember the date. Oh, I, I love remember you. all so of this. All of this. You had come up. was on a Friday. All right. Anyhow, I don't know if people so, want to hear all this. Anyhow. That was, that was an act of dedication or consecration. Okay. And so, so we did that not in a, uh, like a not religious a suffering sac- and all that. No, we did it and not in like a, a typical a ritual. ritual. We just did it as a faith-based prayer. two people together joined in prayer where two are gathered in my name in that kind of yes. dedication. And how many times have I made an act of dedication and consecration of my family and married life into the hands of the Lord since then in the last 30 years? I think you do it daily. Pretty much every day, folks. Pretty much every day, it becomes the the groove, like that paper gets folded how many times and then it just naturally folds that way. Or my Liturgy of the Hours naturally opens up to the page with uh, Psalm 95 on it because I'm praying the Invitatory Psalm every day. So it just opens up there. Your life will open up to acts of, uh, acts of uh, entrustment, acts of presentation. Now, sometimes... Those acts of presentation are the beautiful ones where we're praying in, in hope-filled, glorious, Lord, I entrust to you my uh, my married life. Like I, I pray for our kids' future spouses or their future vocation. And I, I don't do that with a lot of hand-wringing. There's a lot of suffering and pain involved because it's all right in the future. now. It's in the <laughs> it's future. Hope, full of hope. Yeah, it's full of hope. But there are other times when, for sure, we face the desperate, I give up. I've just done. But I give over. I give over. That's called resignation. Right? The act of resignation spiritually is the act of saying, not I give up, but I give over. So not just entrustment, but resignation. Resignation is just another traditional word for presentation. Presentation as entrustment is... Uh, you're resigned to the will of God. Yes. Right. And and when you hear I resign to the will of God, what does that sound? Well, how about terrible. this? I resign I that quit. God will take this situation and make all good from it. He will turn my sorrows into joy. He will take it and do what he wants with it, knowing that he has we have a good father who wants salvation for all. Right. Now, okay, let's let's make that very real. How many times do we have the reality of suffering that doesn't just dissolve because you found the right words to say in an act of surrender. In other words, you have to live an entrusted life, not just say a prayer of entrustment or again, today, this feast of the presentation. It's not just, oh, you make one presentation and and you're good, right? Do you remember what happened? Uh, when the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph made their entrustment, their presentation of Jesus in the temple. Uh, they got some pretty intense prophecies. <laughs> yeah. Prophetic yes. words of Lord, what? Now you can let your servant go. What? Right. Yes, right. This this baby, this child of yours is going to be the cause of the rise and the fall of many. 
a sign of contradiction. Sort of pierce your heart. And to you, Blessed Mother, oh, congratulations on making that active presentation. You're so vulnerable and exposed. Guess what? A sword will pierce your heart. So the thoughts of many will be exposed. That, wow. There, you can see how an active presentation where you present your family, brothers and sisters, you're going to present your family members, your loved ones, those situations, relationships, conditions, all those things. Because those are the things that I'm presenting. You're exposed. Your heart is exposed. Your soul is exposed. The, the core of your being is exposed to the Lord. And part of that exposure is being vulnerable even to the reception of a sword that will pierce your heart as part of God's call to use what you're going through for his saving purposes. And that that is a profound mystery. It's a profound uh, call. It is. Well, we're actually up against another break, dear. We'll be back in a minute with more of the program. Welcome back to the program. So, Carrie, let's 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 be a little vulnerable and share some of our own life. Uh, we've already shared a little bit about that kind of glorious consecration that we've done. We did at the beginning it was not formalized. It was more of our own personal prayer and devotion. You know, as you just described the word vulnerable, you're being left open. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I don't like being with you on the radio or I resist because I cannot not share true. I can't, I need to be real. And so I know there's parts of me that are weak or broken and I just don't like to be left exposed to anybody, everybody. And as I'm sharing this, I'm being exposed, but I think that's actually one of the ways in which I cower or I'm like, do I really have to do this with you? Because I just can't show up. I mean, I for sure try to nuance things and hide, you know, I think in our weaknesses, we want to hide and remain hidden um, because of shame or whatnot. Anyhow, I think that's probably why as you just shared that, that came to me. Wow. Not that it's that's obvious, right? No, I think that- <laughs> When you're able to but, name it very well, specifically. The thing. When I, when I did that honoring on, on senior night, you know, you had that girl snicker and, and laugh and a couple of girls like, uh, were nervous and then other girls cried. And I think that you, that's what being vulnerable means is that you don't have the ability to control how you're going to be received. But what it means is be faithful to your call and here we go again and I trust. Really, yeah, I do feel called. I do feel like, but I don't feel like I'm choosing it. I feel like it's chosen me. Yeah. Is that what call means? Is this what you're? It is not that you have chosen me. It's that I have chosen you to go forth and bear fruit. Right. And for that reason, if you must endure John 15, right? You have not chosen me. I've chosen you. So I, I, I think I use, I don't, maybe don't use that scripture with you quite a bit, but I think that I do have that as kind of a go-to scripture in our, in our lives. Our go-to idea is that if God's called you to do it, you got to do it. It's not about whether or not you want to do it. Well, <laughs> I think I have choice to say no. I just think I'm miserable <laughs> or I get frustrated or I just, I feel like the, the longer I walk with God, the more I realize I might as well submit quicker than later because it's going to, eventually I'm going to submit. 
it's just how long do I want to endure my rebellious heart and heart and heart and know that it's just going to be suffering and disappointment and for me, everyone oh, around me. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Just talking about in those moments. Where's the fruit of your rebellion? The <laughs> rotten fruit. Yeah. Cut that tree down. No, I just think that um, it, it in my honestly in in my walk with God, it feels like there's a quicker. I need to submit sooner than go through the whole around and around and around with the Lord. Well, that's St. Paul or Saul as he's on his way to Damascus, persecuting Christians in the name of God. And Jesus, you, you know, reveals himself from heaven. Yeah, but says, Paul never, after that, he never like fought the Lord. He was all in. I feel like I was all in and then I'm out, then I'm in, then I'm out. And of course I'm all in. There's a, there's a, there's know. a bit of a tradition here, which is very interesting. So first of all, St. Paul, remember what Jesus says to him. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, it's like, you think you're, you're serving God by persecuting Christians. You're actually persecuting God. So you think you're doing the godly thing and you're doing exactly the opposite of the godly thing. And yeah. like, Why do you kick against the goad? And so the goad is the, is the, the cross. It's a cross, right? It's it's the weight that's put on uh, the it's the yoke that's putting put on the the uh, on the oxen okay. to, to make sure that they get steered in the right direction. And why are you kicking against that, right? You know, go with it, go with what God has for you. Um, but you say, oh, Saint Paul had that one and done, right? Well, if Jesus only appeared to me, then I'd be good. I'd be good to go for the well, rest of my life. It just but, seems when you read Acts, they were all a hundred percent in. Jesus was coming back any moment. And they were, do you remember there's, there's a passage, I think it's in Galatians where St. Paul, after his conversion, went off to Arabia for 14 years. There's a gap in there. What was he doing? And dun, 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 dun. That, well, the scripture doesn't say, but there are two theories. One theory is that he went off for 14 years and was essentially growing in faith. It was like a long uh, like he went desert. into a monastery, a desert experience yeah. for 14 years. The other one was he had 14 years of a failed missionary journey. And so he didn't bring it up, which is kind of fascinating to think about that here's St. Paul. And maybe he was going where he thought he was supposed to go rather than what the Lord would have him do. Oh, who knows? Right? Well, I'll find out when we get to heaven. In our Bible study last night on Zoom, um, my brother was sharing about how he felt hopeful in he was referring to john the baptist doubting john the baptist who was kicked in elizabeth's womb was supernaturally conceived in her age was cousins to jesus and yet when he was in prison he sent his disciples to go see if he is the messiah or if we should look for another and just you know there's different reasons or meanings to why he said that but there is a sense that my brother was sharing of I have, I have hope that gives me hope that when I doubt the Lord and I wasn't his cousin and I wasn't born all these miraculous ways and I didn't see the fire, the dove descending on him and all these visions that I still doubted and that it's okay. It's don't be discouraged or continue to seek God and continue to ask, Lord, is this where I'm going? Is this where I'm being led? So. I, I love that as a personal like the sense of saying you have permission to continue to labor through stages of doubt, that's fine. The scripture isn't the best example because 
I think what scripture scholars say about that is that he was doing that specifically to get his disciples to go to Jesus and to engage in a conversation with him and to ask the question, are you he who is to come? So as to or make him we... say it, <laughs> so as to pass on the faith to his disciples, because he was going to be. And beheaded. to pass on the disciples. Oh, well, that makes more sense right? too. It's like, you're hanging around with me. You need to go hang around with him. Well, who is he? Well, go for, ask him. Is, is he the one who is to come? And, or should they look for another? And so it wasn't that he doubted. It was, these guys are wondering, should we follow Jesus? Go, go, go. You have to go get close to him. All right. Well, let's go back to entrustment and being vulnerable. Right. Okay. <laughs> and some of the ways in which we've either entrusted or dedicated. Yeah. It's the positive side. I like that better. Well, I think that we entrusted our whole married life. And then we found that oh, for over four years, we were infertile. So we had to entrust our fertility to God. True. And uh, that led us into a very, like a, a journey of lots of highs and lows just around children. Yes. Right? So we experienced presentation in a way that many families don't. And we had the Lord present a child to us. And so through adoption. Yes. And so we had a place of vulnerable exposure of a lot of pain and suffering of not conceiving and then experiencing miscarriages and presenting that to the Lord. The Lord presented us with a child through adoption. Yes. And, and just that whole journey of being open after conceiving. And um, it, it feels so long ago. But yet, as you share it, some of those emotions come right to the surface. Oh, wow. Of, oh, yeah. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of pain. And it was a lot of suffering. And suffering. And so many years ago. But yeah, that's good, Tom. And then. The Lord, again, he presented us with another child that had a lot of uh, health issues and, you know, health issues like traveling around the country to children's hospitals and nine surgeries in 11 years. Uh, that I, the uh, kind of surrendering and trusting that I had to go through every time I was there in the hospital when a surgery would take place, I talk about feeling powerless. You know, just entrusting all those kids in that short amount of time, there was so much daily entrustment or homeschooling. I think homeschooling requires so much entrustment because you're, I'm always guessing, second guessing myself, even though I'm a trained teacher and even though I know curriculum and I get through stuff and I just always felt like I was falling short mm -hmm. or I didn't do enough. There's always more to do, I guess. Yep. As a mother and as a father, the sense I have is there's always more we could be doing. And so you have to just surrender it's god sees it yeah. he just wants you to love so i think that uh just to talk to married couples for a moment that i'm sure that there are brokennesses that you find in your spouse husbands and wives vice versa and i'm thinking for some reason tomorrow you've got that women's conference there are a lot of women i believe who experience a lot of harsh speech or cold speech from their husbands or lack of intimacy lack of intimacy and that idea of honoring in lifting up and elevating, that's not a natural, easy thing for most guys because it wasn't what they grew up with or because of decisions and, and, and personality and, and inclination, all of that. That's really hard. Present your loving, present, present your husband to the Lord. Present your husband to the Lord. So, okay, we only have about 20 seconds left. Um, so I hope and pray that this sharing that Carrie and I have done about presentation on this feast encourages you to make that act of presenting that act of entrustment, whether it's a positive dedication and consecration, or it's a desperate sense of 
resigning and handing over with surrender and abandonment. The Lord is with you. God bless you.